Parole Podcast is going political. On today's episode, I invited Nick Club, director of the movie Roe v. Wade, the story behind the law on abortion in the US. Abortion has been legal in many countries and illegal in many others. I wanted to see how Nick came up with this movie, how, through his personal struggles, he came to change his idea on abortion. If I were a US citizen, I guess I'll be classified as a pro-life. And this episode is not about criticizing or vilifying people who have had abortions or thinking about it. It is about stating what I call obvious. Abortion is killing an unborn child. Nick has been dealing with his own legal battle where he has had to define what an embryo is in front of the US court. I've had many conversations with friends about abortion. Whether we agreed or not, I realized that most didn't know the history of Planned Parenthood, for example. With Roe v. Wade, the movie, Nick gives us a glimpse of what he discovered. On this side of the ocean, France has legalized abortion in 1975 after much turmoil around the law that was brought by the late Simone Weil, a Holocaust survivor, defender of women's rights, who through the lens of her personal story thought to legalize it. It is my humble opinion that what started as a means to protect women against male abuse with time is feeding an industry. Recently, more countries, traditionally religious, are introducing abortion as a woman's right. Abortion is a serious thing. It is not a simple surgical procedure. No, there is trauma that needs to be treated for both parents. We're so accustomed to see violence that is coming by as a natural thing. Seeing someone being shot at or a sitting being blown up can be entertaining for a second. But when it's happening in real life, it hurts physically and emotionally. I hope this episode will shed the light on the atrocities of the system. A fun fact, when researching about Nick's previous interviews, while journalists were glad to have him on their shows, most, if not all, were not allowing him to finish his sentences. He was caught off many times that I had lost track of what he was talking about. If this was the strategy, I applaud the great journalism here. The only interviews that gave him time to speak freely was when he was being interviewed on Christian channels. More than ever, I hope you share this episode and start conversations with your loved ones, your friends. Maybe get to ask the parents who've been through the abortion process and the ones thinking about it. I pray for the one listening and I declare that God has a perfect plan for all of us. Find parole on your platforms. Be blessed. Welcome to a new episode of Parole, and today's guest is Nick Lubb. Uh, I'll try to be concise. He's a writer, a producer, a director of a movie called Roe vs. Wade. And I'll get straight to the point. Let's just introduce yourself a little bit. Nick, go ahead. You know, thanks so much for, for having me. Uh, I, I've been in the film business for over 20 years, started my career at Universal, and um, we just made uh, and released uh, a movie in the U.S. called Roe v. Wade, which um, most people outside of the United States have never heard of, of this based on the most famous court case in American history. Uh, and it's, it's the court case that legalized abortion in America in 1973. And uh, no one had ever really made a, a movie on it, uh, which I was sort of shocking. And so we took that and, uh, and obviously because of the, the huge abortion debates, in the United States, it's become extremely, extremely controversial. And uh, we released April 2nd and 
uh, that's sort of it. I think uh, this question of Roe versus Wade for those who didn't leave in the US, we kind of know what it is. And I kind of sometimes I feel like it's like Israel versus Palestine. We know the history, but we don't know the details and, you know, what's behind everything. Well, you know, it's interesting, it's the same for most of Americans. And I'll say this in every interview in America. I mean, Roe v. Wade is a court case that everyone has heard of, but nobody, even the Americans, have no idea what it's about. They have no idea how it got there, how it was decided, who Wade was, who Roe was. Uh, all they know is this is the case of legalized abortion. And that's all Americans know, uh, which I thought was very important to make a movie to really tell tell that story. Sure. Can, can we start with the, the fact that people don't know about it? I, I haven't been to a, like a high school in the US, so I don't know how you guys are taught about history. I know it's a little when you get to see what- Well, in American history, we don't really taught, we don't teach a lot of modern day history and we don't get into- you know, legal cases like Roe v. Wade in, in high school. So, I mean, it's you hear about it really through conversation or the media or the news. It comes up every election cycle. Mm. Because, um, every one party wants to overturn it. The other party doesn't want to do, uh, overturn it. And so, you know, it. everybody knows about it, but a lot of it has having to do with that. Why did Hollywood never made a movie about that? It seems strange because we, we see lots of subjects. You know, I think... I think because of what a lot of people were afraid to take on the topic one way or another. I mean, there was a lot of documentaries uh, on it. <laughs> I think the challenge, I mean, there was, so I, there was a 1989 made for TV movie based on, called Roe v. Wade. Um, it was really truly only based on uh, Jane Roe, on the Roe person. Uh, uh, the funny thing about that is, Although cases called Roe v. Wade, which is Jane Roe versus Henry Wade, Jane Roe and Henry Wade had nothing to do with the case. <laughs> so <clears throat> to make a movie based on these two people uh, to tell a true story is, is a little bit fictitious. And, and, and I, I think it's deceitful to, to do that. Um, it was really her story. And Jane Roe essentially was the woman who wanted to have the abortion and they actually never had an abortion. I mean, essentially they found they found this girl, the people who really Roe v. Wade was about an organization of, of people, movement, Planned Parenthood, which is a huge abortion organization in America, the National Association of Appeal, and all the people behind that trying to get um, abortion legalized. I mean, that's the true story. And then they had to go they went out and find a, find a girl to get their case. So they found this girl, Jane Roe. They signed her up and never spoke to her again. She had no involvement in getting it there. <laughs> she had no involvement in the process. She didn't even find out about the results from her lawyer. She found out about it in the media. For them to call a movie called Romeo Wade based on her story is, is laughable. Uh, so, the, you know, so also the challenge of why I think a movie has never been made is, you know, unlike doc, a lot of documentaries, you can make a documentary on any subject matter you want. When you make a movie, you have to base it on actual characters. People want to, they're going to watch a, a narrative feature, they want to follow the journey of, of a certain person. And there were just so many people involved in this. I think it was, nobody came up with the idea of let's find a, a character to follow through this process uh, and follow his story. And whose story did you want to follow to really tell that story? And so we, we came up with a character, uh, a guy named Dr. Bernard Nathanson. Now, Dr. Bernard Nathanson was the biggest abortionist in American history, carrying out over 70,000 abortions in America, his clinics. And why we utilized him was multiple reasons. One, he was extremely instrumental in the entire process. He, he was the head of medical for NARAL. He worked with Planned Parenthood, came up with statistics. I mean, really, you know, was involved with the group getting Roe to the Supreme Court, getting Roe passed. 
And so he was very instrumental. I also wanted to try to have a balanced story and tell both sides of the story. And he was the, the major character that actually played both sides. He started his career as being pro-choice and, and ended his life being pro-life. And he had a conversion to the process. So you got to see, you got to see it from, from both sides. And so we followed Dr. Bernard's Nathan's his narrates and tells when we hit it's his journey. That's interesting because um, when you get to see the statistics of 75,000, it's a lot. Uh, I guess the month of May, we're still into uh, the mental health awareness month. I'd like to know, because you did a lot of research on that, what was happening? Like, what was the belief system for him? You know, I think the problem that we had early on is that there wasn't a lot of technology and we didn't know what it was like. I think there was a lot of challenges to know, is there really some, something there? I mean, even when I grew up, you know, I'm 45 years old, I was taught it was just a clump of cells. There was no, there was no human life that was there. And I think that really what was in the minds of most people. And I think back then I probably would have been pro-choice too and said, you know, why can't a woman remove a clump of cells from her body that is not a human being or a life? I don't see anything wrong with that. No different than removing, you know, sperm or removing an egg uh, until it becomes an embryo. And it, we don't know, we didn't have embryo technology back then. And it wasn't at the forefront. We didn't know that there was life. And we were, you know, you know, and it, the people who didn't know maybe ignored it or they glossed over it. You know, I think when he realized that there was actually a human being there with an eyes and mouth and nose and sucking their thumb and you can see it in a sonogram in the first couple of months, like you're killing a human being. Uh, and I think that that is what's changed, what changed him. And I think that what changes a lot of people today. Absolutely. Of course, for those who they will think that this is a movie about, you know, religion before everything else, what would you say? This is not a religious movie at all. You know, we like, you know, everybody categorizes films in Hollywood. We, we call it uh, faith friendly, meaning it's friendly to the faith audience because the faith and the religious community are the majority of them. Well, not even the Catholics, especially in America, are very pro-life. There's really very little religion throughout the movie. You've got, interestingly enough, one of the main pro-life characters in the movie, played by uh, Stacey Dash. She plays the first African-American woman to graduate Harvard Medical School, although she's a Baptist. Her whole argument, her character's argument is, we should be taking religious out, out of this. We're, we're going to win if we remove religion from the argument. And I became pro-life because... I'm a doctor and I see life begins at conception and there's a human being, nothing to do with religion. And so that's our fight. While you've got other characters there, like Father McHugh is like, well, it's all about God and where do we pray? And so you have the debate, <laughs> should it be about religion? The pro-lifers are debating each other. The pro-choicers are debating each other. <clears throat> and so we wanted to really have characters that, that resembled everybody. The only time you see really anything to do with God or faith is really in the last five minutes of the movie when your main character converts to Catholicism. But his conversion to Catholicism has nothing to do with his belief that life began at conception. His belief of that all had to do with science and, and sonogram technology. I should assume that making the movie, uh, preparing the movie, let's just say the genesis, the shooting, and then promoting the movie. Can you tell us a bit about what may have happened, the challenges or... Yeah, I mean, listen, the movie business is a difficult business. I mean, <laughs> making any, any movie uh, is very hard, a lot of challenges. I think the biggest challenges that we, we truly faced is, is during this time of release. You know, we've had a lot of organizations out there, major media companies try to shadow ban our film, uh, put it on the last row so people wouldn't see it, uh, hide it. 
you know, things like that have been very disingenuous, uh, which I think, you know, ch challenging in America because, you know, America still has 50% of our country is pro-life, 50% is religious, 50% cares about this content. And you've got Hollywood out there, which I'm sure is gonna now lead you into these questions in Hollywood, is censoring everybody, which, which I find to be quite, quite ironic that Hollywood is censoring everybody you know, since they were in the 60s during McCarthyism, McCarthyism was a time in the 60s where Hollywood was being censored themselves for their liberal beliefs. And now they're turning around and censoring conservatives, uh, which is interesting, the hypocrisy that we see we see today. The, 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 the scary part is that the big tech companies that really have more control today and more power than Hollywood have jumped into the fray and jumped to the mix. Um, and the major, major media outlets have done this as well to try to silence and it's and I feel like we're you know between that and mandatory vaccines, I feel like we're you know heading down towards Nazi Germany here. I will just quote something that I just saw on uh New York Post just before the this interview. It was uh Josh, Joe Rogan, the podcaster, mm -hmm. who just said that straight straight one man and the world culture, it's just it's difficult. It's like a cancel culture at its best. It's like straight white men really have a hard time expressing their beliefs and views. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I know Joe Garunga, he got in trouble for that. And I, listen, I think that it's not even just straight white men. I think it's anybody today. I mean, has, I mean, look, you've got, you've got Caitlyn Jenner, right? Who, you know, is a transgender man who became a woman who's now running for governor of California as a Republican, as a conservative. And she's not straight. And she's not a white man. She's a woman. I don't know what she is, but somewhere in between and she's they're trying to silence her it's not truly about being a white male listen i i have a lot of friends out there who are who are black who come out and are concerned people try to cancel them you know if they have a concern there it's the cancellation of your belief if it doesn't conform to them and mm -hmm. that's not what america was founded on we were founded on freedom of religion and freedom of the press and freedom of speech and and, and have different ideals and not be shut down in a free society. As long as the government doesn't close speech, I think you're fine. But if it listen, a private organization can do whatever they want, right? Yeah. I mean, that's really, if they want, if a private organization wants to cancel you because of your, your um, because of what you say, it really, to be honest, I mean, from a, from a libertarian perspective, that's really their perspective, right? That they're, they're prerogative to do so. I just, it's what's scary is when government gets involved and that means, you know, schools and um, public companies that are controlled by government and things like that. Um, that's now your borderline on, 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 on trouble. How do you feel about that for yourself? About the future with the, uh... The I mean, your liberty. I'm, I'm nervous. I mean, I'm nervous. I know it made me very nervous. Um, I think the, really the first, what really made me nervous was when the president, our former president, Donald Trump, uh, was removed from Twitter. Uh, and his, and um, the, fa the fact that, a, that a, a, an American company can have power with the president of the United States and silence the president of the United States, I, I think is, is nobody's safe. Uh, regardless of what you like, he was elected. You know, you may not like what he says. You don't have to elect him. They didn't. They right. They elected somebody else. But to to to, to silence him, I think we were going down. I'm very scared, very nervous about the future. Now, 
you know, in America, I've always seen, and I don't know, we've gone too far over the edge, but we've always seen swings, right? You know, the, you know, the 50s were very conservative and then the, you know, the 60s became wild and liberal into the 70s. And then the 80s, we have flipped back to being extremely conservative again. And, and so the country, usually when you go one side too far, we flip back to the other, uh, you know, is that coming? I think, I think the more people get canceled, as you say, like the Joe Rogans of the world and all these people get canceled, you're going to have more people fighting back and the more people fighting back is going to turn them into conservative. And that's going to, that's going to be the majority. You know, I think you're going to, you know, it, it, it's, you know, almost shooting yourself in the foot from a perspective. I don't want to be a young person today. I'll tell you that I would have survived. I'll pray for you for the future. Uh, before I get into the Margaret Singer, I would like for you to, to share about her bio, I guess. I am obviously Burindian, I'm black. And um, for the longest time I've heard that Margaret Singer, the founder of Planned Parenthood was a racist person trying to kill black babies or uh, to uh, actually forbid black people to, like, to give birth. It's a sad story, to be honest. And although I'm not African, I'm African American. Uh, I feel like less and less people know about that story, and they don't even know what's happening behind the. the yeah, story. so Margaret Sanger was the founder of Planned Parenthood. I mean, she she had a belief that she not she didn't believe in killing black babies, but what she wanted to do was really to reduce the black population and any populations she felt that were not suitable. It, almost like Hitler, right? There was an Aryan, uh, there was a race that was more, that was better. So I mean, she included Italians and Jews and, you know, a lot of people in that. But she, you know, she began to open up clinics and what her clinics focused on really was uh, contraception and sterilization. And she would, they would focus on sterilizing to, re to essentially to reduce the black population. And that was her goal of what then became the Planned Parenthood. And that was her foundation. You know, I, you know, interestingly, recently, since our film, you know, Planned Parenthood, uh, you spent years running not disavow her, but they finally have come out uh, and disavowed Margaret Sanger in the last month, which I find interesting. <laughs> of course, I want to take complete credit for that. Well done. <laughs> who, who knows if it was my film, my film or not, but the, I think the, the, the new CEO of Planned has now come out and acknowledged that, um, you know, because there's been a lot of debate and I think on, on whether she was truly racist or not and the challenges <clears throat> there was a lot of fake stuff on uh, on the internet uh which gave them credence and i think that that hurt us i mean there's i'll give you an example there's a there's a picture uh on the internet of margaret sanger at a kkk rally now the problem with that picture is the picture's fake but the story's true she was at a kkk rally she gave a speech she talked about it in her book but the fact that an online fake picture gives a credence for the left is like, oh, the KKK stuff is fake. And that just becomes then the narrative, right? And I think that is, um, but I think that's, you know, and, and the challenge today with the internet, I mean, I don't even know, I, I can't believe anything on the internet anymore. I mean, I tried to Google something today about changing seasons and all I talked about was climate change. I don't want to talk about climate. Like, it, like, it was like, it was like, could it, like, it, you can't get a straight answer anymore. And everything is so skewed. <laughs> yeah. Uh, just to, I, yeah, I guess I'll have to talk about the abortion, uh, which is the subject. Uh, you talked about it on, on the Hollywood Reporter article. You talked about your own experience. 
And I feel like less and less people really focus, no, actually people focus more on the women's side, emotional trauma that happens afterward, but less with the men. And I found it really um, great that you were giving your own testament about that. Can you share a little bit about Sure, I mean, I think, you know, I think now more than ever, probably men are, are, are um, put aside when it comes to the abortion debate because they feel, well, you know, it has nothing to do with a man. Well, we will forget, you know, when there's a baby inside a woman, it's 50% a man's. And the man has, and if the woman decides to carry that child to term, he has responsibilities that he has to take for that child. And so if he's going to have to take those responsibilities, uh, he should also be in, you know, involved in the decision-making process of the life of that child. You know, I, I th- you know, I, I think a lot of men and a lot of people, especially my generation, we grew up and um, probably involved in abortions. I was to, to abortions myself. And I think that if I had been educated or known better, I, I would have maybe tried to pursue, persuade the women to, to make different decisions. And, you know, and although I probably wasn't helpful, I probably, you know, wasn't helpful in the decisions that were made. And so, I, you know, I, I think that, you know, men should be in, in, included in, in the conversation. But I think today with today's culture, they're, men are petrified, even worse than ever before to say anything or do anything. White, black, or indifferent. Uh, so I just take somebody who's just, you know, either crazy or stupid like me, just to speak out who doesn't care. That's a good, uh, that's a good call. Why would you even advise someone who's going through the same thing, like a man? If there was a man and he was with a woman who wanted to have an abortion, the only thing I would encourage him to do is um, try to get her to have a sonogram. You know, 80% of women today who have got sonograms before they have an abortion change their minds and don't have an abortion. It's a, it's a massive, massive statistic. And wow. so there are a lot of states today in America that require women to have sonograms before they have an abortion. When you go in there and you hear your baby's heart going boom, 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 it is very hard to then make the decision wow. to end that life. And, I, and, I, and that's one of the reasons we made the movie. You know, at the end of the day, we wanted people to see that. And I'm, I don't know if you've seen the film, you probably can get it over there. But yeah, um, but in the movie, there's a scene at the end where you see there's a human being inside the womb. And, and at that point is where most of my friends were like, oh my God, there's a baby there. And that's what converted a lot of my friends and people who've seen the film. And I think that is, that is, and that is today, you know, the youth in America today is trending more progressive on every issue than ever before with the exception of abortion. The youth today coming out of university today is trending more pro-life than ever in history. And the number one reason of that is technology. You can go, we have a new generation that wants to Google everything to debate you, right? And so, and so when they Google a fetus in the first three months, when they think they can have an abortion and they see it sucking its thumb, they're like, wait, is that real? And a lot of people change their minds. And so the, and I, so this is, I think, out of any of our social constructs of, of um, you know, of, of what is on a liberal agenda, I think this is one of them that I think we will win in the future. And, and because of technology and the better that, I mean, right now you can see, I mean, I don't know if you've seen 4D technology yeah, if you use Google, 4D technology of a fetus, I mean, you see in the first three months a fully formed baby. That's, I mean, 
Yeah. And so when young people who are in their 20s see that, they just don't see it. No one's showing it to them. And so the more that's brought and the more that's out there, the more that'll change hearts and minds. And that'll, that'll change people. So how did we, if, I mean, did we, how did you guys evolve from the fetus is a baby and I could see it too, you can get an abortion at like at nine months. Because the laws are still there. I mean, the fetus is a baby. I mean, you can see that the fetus, is the, and these laws are changing. I mean, look today, all over, I mean, listen, Roe v. Wade at all last week was all over the news in America. You've got a court case now going to the Supreme Court um, dealing, dealing with South Carolina's abortion laws. Um, and a lot of, of Texas does ban abortions after 12 weeks. And so you have a lot of states restricting abortions now down to lower and lower and lower times. And so it, it, we, are, we are moving in the right and proper direction with that. So it, it is happening because people are seeing the baby okay. and hearing the heartbeat. Can I ask about your own experience then? Where was, when was the moment where you realized like? You know, there wasn't like an epiphany of one day I woke up and said, you know, oh my God. I think it was a journey for me. You know, I, you know, I'm 45 now. I had two abortions in my 20s or with women who had two abortions that always haunted me. And I'd always had dreams of those children and I still do today. Um, and as I got older and I got involved in politics and I, you know, in, in my 30s and technology was more accessible and the internet was more accessible. And I saw I'm like, oh my God. And I killed, I killed two babies, you know? And so, and I think it was, a, it was a, you know, it was a, you know, it was, it, it, it was a morph over time, right? And, and, you know, I grew up in a very liberal world between New York and LA and Hollywood. And so I was, you know, always, you know, pro, pro-choice, pro-women. And I thought it was a women's right and a women's decision. And I mean, he, he even tried to justify my decisions when I became pro-life, right? I even decided, okay, well, I said, I'm pro-life. But if somebody else wants to be pro-choice, that's fine with me. And then somebody came to me and said, okay, Nick, that's great. I don't rob stores, but if he wants to rob stores, that's fine with me. And I'm like, you know, you, you kind of got a point there, right? And I always kept an open mind. And so, I, you know, <laughs> I went farther and farther in my decision process, right? And then, you know, over time, I said, well, okay, fine. Well, I think abortion will be, well, <laughs> you know, as long as, you know, as long as a woman, you know, you know, but in the cases of rape, you know, that's fine. If a woman wants to kill her baby, if she's raped, that's fine, I would say. And, you know, and then I said, you know, well, well, did, did the baby get raped? I said, did the baby rape the person? What, what bad thing did the baby do that deserved dying? I had, it's a horrible thing for a woman to have to go through nine months of her pregnancy after a rape, but it's the worst thing that that child has to go through by dying and not having a life forever. Um, and bad things happen to good people all the time. I mean, it's horrible. And you can't just change it with the surgery. Um, sometimes you just have to live with the consequences uh, of it for the better good, for the greater good. I think it would be crazy to talk about Hollywood without talking about the embryos. Where, where are you standing on that? Are you uh, we're, still, we're still in litigation. Uh, still, in, in, uh, still in litigation. Still yeah. in California. Still fighting. That could go on for years and years and years. All right. And my last question will be for Hollywood again. I'm 33. I remember coming to France. I was a baby, naive, thinking that people, old people, adults, I was assumed were smarter. And then with time, I realized that is not the case. (laughs) (laughs) Um, What was Hollywood like like 20 years ago? I just said, 
you were in the game for? Yeah, it, you know, it was um, it was much different than back then. It was, you know, it was uh, it was a different business. Also, it was it was all controlled by the studios. Um, uh, it was much harder to get movies made, um, but it it was. You know, it, it was more normal of a life than it, than it is today. I think in today's working in eggshells. I mean, you still had a conservative, a liberal bias over there, but you could be a conservative in Hollywood. Uh, today, you can't. Um, and, and times have really changed on that. We went through a period of probably 20 years in Hollywood where it really was a, a boom for independent filmmakers and the ability to make films outside of the studio system based on really two factors. Uh, uh, a lot of tax credit incentives in the United States that states offer uh, and the foreign sales markets that help fund those films. Yeah. Um, COVID has completely destroyed it. There will be no more independent films in the future or very few unless they're government, especially U.S. independent films. I, mean, I think a lot of international, you know, you know, uh, countries like France does a lot of funding of their own films, you'll see, but uh, our government does not do that. And, and, and our costs are much higher. <clears throat> so I, I think the it's the end of the independent film. Uh, you're going to see the um, films completely controlled uh, by the streamers, Amazon, Netflix, Hulu, anyone who's got a streaming service is going to control. Sure, there'll be small indie films, but it's not like I. Yeah. It'll it'll they will have to make the decision. It'll be a company making the decision once gets made, not me going out um, and and making a movie. It'll be very very difficult. And you're wow. going to see the less because I think COVID. Destroyed not only the theatrical market, but COVID has completely destroyed the foreign sales market. So I, I don't even know how to get a film funded today, since fifty percent of every budget comes from pre-selling foreign rights. Oh wow! So really hopeful for the future then. <laughs> not not for the film world. Not you know who knows what can change. Anything can change, and um, you know God willing, it will. And uh, yeah. you know, let, let's see. All right. So what can we wish for you? In the near future, next five years. <clears throat> well, I, the, I, the next film I'm working on is an independent film, which is going to be very difficult for me to get made because, again, there's no foreign sales market. But I think that the I may be able to get one of the studios to make it for me. Um, we're looking for a director right now, and it is um, it's uh, the true story um, of a slave recruited by George Washington to spy on the British during the American Revolution. And it's an action spy thriller and how this slave got information in Washington that actually helped him win the war. And it's a story that's gonna be completely left out of history. And it's, and it's a truly amazing, fascinating story of this guy named James uh, Armistead. Wow, okay. You definitely know how to make friends in Halloween. <laughs> you have the right topics all day, every day. So- well, this, is, well, this should be my forgiveness movie. This is, you know, a pro-black movie. So, uh, you know, this should, you know, everyone should, <laughs> Forgive me for my pro-life movie after the pro-life movie, right? <laughs> They'll be like, "So why are you doing this movie? You're not even because because, it, because for me it's not about it's not about being, being about political, right? For me, mm -hmm. it's about stories that I love and I enjoy. It's not about I'm a conservative, so I have to follow the status line. And by the way, if you if you do and if I and I can still utilize that argument because I'm sorry, the conservatives have have done more for Black Americans in the last four years than any any party has done in American history. Black wealth, black jobs, black strength has grown exponentially more than the last two decades combined under the, under the, under the last president. That'll be the, the word of- uh... But nobody wants to talk about that. <laughs> of course they don't. <laughs> nobody wants to talk about that. 
I don't know. I don't know what type of reviews you will have for the next one, but uh, it seems like you're on a roll to change at least perception of how we see uh, things when we think we know them, and you challenge us. So I personally know knew about the, the case, but um, I hope my audience will hear and just be you know willing to to do some research because at the end of the day we're not feeding their food. We just have to find out what's happening. Although it's in the U.S. Uh, the reason, yeah, the reason why I wanted to do the podcast is because even though it's in the U.S., uh, it, we do have the same thing in France where the history, you have to understand the history before you understand the abortion law. And in my country, home country, Burundi, it's, you know, it's super illegal. So there is a reason for, you know, for everything. So I'm not judging, but it is true that I believe a, a life is a life. Well, good. Well, we're trying. We're, we're hopefully we'll get distribution in France. We're going to have a release uh, in Spain in March in 100 screens. I know okay. we're releasing it in some countries, and we're working on trying to get a French distributor now. Although I'm, I'm still checking if um, it's, uh, it's available on the Amazon Prime in France. It's still not there. No, it would have to. It would have to be through a French distributor. Okay. All right. I understand. Anyway, no worries. We'll uh, change the VPNs and do stuff. <laughs> we have the rights. Absolutely. And it's funny because for those who don't see you, you have uh, a little girl on your lap. So. I do. I do. And I have a little boy crying in the back. So. <laughs> That's great. So you love kids. God bless you. And thank you very much for this time. And yeah, all the best for the future. Thank you so much for having me.